I think we need to get going here. Here we go. Pilgrim's Progress Part 2, Christiana's Journey. And when we come to this lesson, which you can see under the, the title, I've entitled From the Slough to Interpreter's House. That's the segment of this journey. The preliminary for the lesson this morning is how we came to salvation. How we came to salvation. I think I've probably said this many times before in Sunday school class, and I'll repeat it again right now. I wish that I had the ability to freeze time just like that, and we could all, whoever liked to, could share our testimonies of how we came to faith in Christ. If you look at the notes here, it is without controversy that the matter of our soul's salvation is the most important issue in life. It is the determining factor of one's eternal destiny. Salvation is so great that there are several terms in Scripture to describe it. Well, what are some of those terms? Well, here comes a bunch of them. Our salvation is spoken of in, times of in terms of conversion, of redemption, of regeneration, of justification, of adoption, all these terms. And I'm sure some more are used to de describe salvation from many different aspects. Salvation is such, such a great thing. Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, and that seems to focus on the regeneration part, unless one is born again, the new birth, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Make no mistake. There is only one way of salvation. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How many times have we heard that? How many times? And I know these verses are very familiar verses here, but let's look up these verses and read these. Could I have somebody look up Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? If you just show me your hand and I'll let you do that. Anybody? Melanie, would you do that, please? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, Romans 3, 23 and 24, and then down to 28. Could I have somebody volunteer for that one? Tootsie? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Could I have another volunteer for that one? Vicky, please. Okay. Melanie? Sure. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not of works, not of a result of works, so that no one may boast. Great, great no verses. Verse. Yes, great. Tootsie? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. For... For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Mm -hmm. And Vicki, please. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, 
which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Yeah. And, and you see what I have at the end of that line? Etc. Could be a whole lot more verses, couldn't it? A whole lot more. But let's move on. However, it is also true that the way that each of us came to Christ is fascinatingly varied. Fascinatingly varied. Uh, only one way to salvation, but the ways that we come to Christ. Fascinatingly varied. Who in the world is this? You didn't know who this was, nor did I until I read about him. And look at this next paragraph. Derek Thomas whom I mentioned so many times in Sunday School. Derek Thomas, in his sermons on the second part of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, preached on Sunday nights at his church in Columbia, South Carolina, he mentions one of his favorite hymn writers, and this is that hymn writer. Now, I was reading the transcript, an unofficial transcript of his Sunday night services, so that it's not edited and, and you know corrections made for grammar or anything like that but I think when I read that and I have these at home in a folder it just said uh, Cesar Milan Cesar Milan <laughs> what comes to your mind Amanda with that the dog whisperer the dog whisperer anybody familiar with Cesar Milan the dog whisperer I don't know who I first heard that from probably from Rachel who is the doggier of our two daughters having having dogs but Cesar Milan if you ever watched any of those segments is absolutely amazing in dealing with dogs and I still remain with I still try that on the dogs with virtually no results <laughs> but this is not to be confused with this Cesar Milan and if you look at the paragraph here he mentions Derek Thomas does one of his favorite hymn writers a man named Henri Abraham Cesar Milan, a Swiss Calvinist minister who lived from 1787 to 1784. Now, why in the world did he even mention such an individual as this? I had never heard of him before. Why does he mention him at this point? He mentions him because of something that Cesar Milan said. And it's, isn't that a tender and touching picture? Here's what Cesar Milan said. Christ awakens some as a mother awakens her child from their sleep with a kiss. And some are converted like Saul of Tarsus. <clears throat> do, do you understand what Cesar Milan is saying in this? People's conversions vary. They really do. Going on in that paragraph, in sharing his own experience, Dr. Thomas says that he could give a day and an hour when he trusted Christ. But his wife, Rosemary, couldn't tell you a day when she didn't believe. Now, does that mean there, there never was a day that she didn't believe? No, it doesn't mean that. But I, I can understand what he is saying here. To be sure, all who are God's elect will come to him. But they have been and will continue to come to him in a myriad of different ways. I, I, I went on, did some research on Henri, Abraham, Cesar, Milan. Very, very interesting things here. One of the greatest of the French hymn writers, like Isaac Watts in England. 
He, in France, made him singing a popular addition to church worship. Like John and Charles Wesley in England, in France his hymns were the result of religious fervor and the revival of evangelical truth. He is reputed to have written over 1,000 hymns. The writing of those hymns covered a period of over 40 years. Uh, Milan was an earnest seeker for souls and led many to the Lord. Cesar Milan belonged to a family whose forebears suffered much through persecution. Some died because of their faithfulness to the truth. The young Cesar was brought up in Geneva where Unitarianism reigned and he was affected by this teaching. In his early life, apparently his mother instilled in him the belief in the deity of the Son of God. Milan's remarks about his theological training are very pointed. Quote, were I to go back to my recollections of theological teaching, I should fail to find a single instance in which instruction was given me in the divinity of our Savior, man's fallen nature, or the doctrine of justification by faith. Ordained to the Christian ministry at the age of 23, it was six years before the knowledge of salvation came to him. Six years after he was ordained to the ministry. Can you believe that? Um, in 1816, the Lord blessed him through the reading of Romans 6.10 and Ephesians 2.8. He was able to repeat with joy and assurance, I am saved, I am saved. After his conversion, he became an ardent evangelist. Eventually, he was expelled from the church in which he served. In his own garden, he built a chapel in which he preached for 43 years. The Scottish evangelist Robert Haldane was influential in helping Milan and deepening his spiritual life. Daubigny, the famous author of the history of the Reformation, was one of his friends. And C.H. Spurgeon knew him and was grateful to Milan for welcoming him to Geneva in 1860. And before this article is finished, there is, uh, I guess, an excerpt from one of the hymns that he wrote. And maybe the words will sound familiar at the very beginning. It is not death to die, to leave this weary road, and midst the brotherhood on high, be at home with God. It is not death to close the eye long dimmed by tears, and wake in glorious repose to spend eternal years. It is not death to bear the wrench that sets us free, from dungeon chain to breathe the air of boundless liberty. It is not death to fling aside this sinful dust and rise in strong, exulting wing to live among the just. Jesus, thou Prince of life, thy chosen cannot die. Like thee, they conquer in the strife to reign with thee on high. Caesar Milan. And the expression, Christ awakens some as a mother awakens her child with a kiss. And some are converted like the Apostle Paul. Well, note the difference, the difference between the conversions of Christian and Christiana. And between Christiana and mercy, which we're going to be seeing as we continue on this part of our journey right now. So, 
on their journey now, even as it was with Christian, they come to the slough of despond. Let's read a little bit about this. As they came to the slough of despond, Christiana was brought to a standstill. That is, she was halted. She, she stopped. As she remembers what had happened to Christian when he came here. Now, now, stop for a minute and try to, try to think on this. As she remembered what happened to Christian when he came here. How does she know what happened to Christian? I'm assuming people talk. Yeah, yeah because remember, pliable and obstinate had tried to stop him, and pliable had even fallen into the slough with them, and then they both came back to town, and there was all kind of talking also. Yeah, it's not that she had some connection with Christian and heard from him what happened there. No, but, but she knew. She knew his struggle there. Um, to continue. However, this group of travelers does not have the same problem that he had, for they used the stone steps that, in, that had been placed here by the command of the king, capital K, king. It is notable that here, mercy was the boldest of the group. And Christiana almost sank a couple of times. So you can see in this, this, this picture of it, you can see the steps that are here. You can see Christian struggling here, and you can see the stone steps that were an aid to Christiana and mercy, and, and mercy proved to be the boldest of them. You know, I, I was I was struck in rereading this last evening. Um, just before the section begins, when it says, "Now my old friend proceeded and said," but when Christiana came to the slough despond, etc. Right immediately before that in the book is one of these periodical poems that. Bunyan inserts in here, and this poem actually is a poem that is spoken by Mercy. Now, Mercy is the one who, as you read these pages, Mercy is the one who is fearful, fearful that she won't be received, or she hasn't received an invitation like Christiana did and all. But in this little poem, and there's three little stanzas to it, I just want to read the middle stanza. This comes from Mercy. And let him never suffer me to swerve or turn aside from his free grace and holy ways, whatever shall me be tied. How, how sweet, how sweet are those words. Well, you've already turned the page and I just caught up with you. When they were past the slough, they thought that they heard the words of Luke 1.45 the words being, blessed is she who believes that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What is that about? Do you have any idea what that's about? In Luke chapter 1 and verse 45. Either Mary or Elizabeth. Yeah, either Mary or Elizabeth. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth in the, uh, Elizabeth living in the hill country. <coughs> And Mary goes to visit her. And Elizabeth recounts to her not only what was promised to her, but recounts to her what happened as soon as Mary came to the door and said a word of greeting. What was it? 
The babe leaped in her womb. The babe visibly moved. That was John the Baptist bearing, amazingly, bearing the first witness as the forerunner to the coming Messiah who was still newly conceived in Mary's womb. But Bunyan employs those words here. Blessed is she who believes that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken her from the Lord. Next bullet, as they continued on their journey, Mercy said to Christiana that if she, that is Mercy, had as good a ground as her to hope for a loving reception at the wicked gate, no slough despond would discourage her. Christiana responded that they each knew their own weakness and they all would have enough evil before journey's end. That's interesting. That's interesting to ponder over even. Every, every one of us in this room, and those who are usually with us but are not with us today, every one of us knows our own weak areas, don't we? Yeah. Um, most of the rest of the people in the room are, have no idea. But we know our weak areas. And doesn't Satan try to capitalize on our weak areas? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, continue. This is a very interesting point now. At this point, Mr. Sagacity stepped out of the story. Did you find that interesting if you encountered that? Is this because Bunyan realized that he was a redundant character? <laughs> Somebody else was telling the story. There's no need for Mr. Sagacity anymore. So it's just an interesting point. He's gone now, but the story will continue. Well, when the travelers came to the gate. And what is the gate? The gate is the wicked gate. Does anybody remember what words, and I don't see this on, on the picture that I chose to use here. I don't see any visible words on here, but what were the words that were inscribed over the gate? What were those words? Well, let me continue reading this point and we'll see if we can catch that. When the travelers were come to the gate, they debated what they would do when they got there. It was decided that Christiana, since she was the eldest, would knock and speak for them all. Well, what were the words? <laughs> Obviously, I'm struggling to remember the words right now, too. Yeah, Brett? Not going to show you open. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's something like that, you know. So they had decided when they get to the gate, Christiana is going to be their rep, like their rep, the oldest one of them, who will knock. But something happens before that. The dog? Ah, the dog. The dog barking. The dog barking. Have any of you guys ever been scared of a dog barking? I think lots of us, especially when we were little, may be afraid. Uh, this is a dog barking. I don't think I'd like that dog to be barking at me when I was on my bike. I don't think so at all. But how about this one? <laughs> that, that is a picture of a mastiff, and very specifically, not immediately when the dog is described as barking, but a little bit further on in the story, Bunyan identifies it as a mastiff. Well, let's read what we have here. 
When she first knocked, there was no response. So she continued to knock with diligence, just as Christian had done. But the knocking got no response from within. However, it stirred up a dog from a neighbor, which filled them all with fear. A little yapping sound is not going to fill us with fear, I don't think. <laughs> but the low tone, or whatever, is going to send a chill down your back. And that's what happens here. Because of this, they did not continue knocking. But they were thrown into a dilemma. They did not want to go back. So they knocked again more vehemently. And two things happened. The keeper of the gate asked, who is there? And the dog stopped barking. Christiana curtsied, that is bowed, and the keeper asked the same questions that Christian had heard. Her response was similar also. They had come from the same town that Christian had come from. They were journeying to the celestial city. And she was the wife of Christian. Wow. The keeper of the gate expressed surprise that she had now become a pilgrim who previously had abhorred that life and had been so vehemently opposed to Christian leaving. Remember. He then took her in with the boys and called to a trumpeter who gave her a joyful welcome. But meanwhile, Mercy has not yet entered in. <clears throat> meanwhile, Mercy was still outside, trembling and crying that she had been rejected. Christiana began to intercede for her, saying that she was on the same journey but feared that she had not been invited. For poor Mercy, each minute outside catch up with myself here. Each minute outside seemed like an hour. So she began to knock. <laughs> so loudly did she, that is mercy, knock that it startled Christiana. When the keeper asked who it was, Christiana said, she is my friend. Opening the gate, the keeper found that mercy had swooned. He took her by the hand and asked why she had come. She replied that she had come for that which she was never invited. Christiana had been invited by the king. Mercy was invited by Christiana. She said, if there is any grace and forgiveness of sins to spare, I beseech that I may be a partaker of it. How, how sweet, how sweet are her words. Uh, do, you, do you remember at all that uh, in, in the lesson from last week, we read the words, the Lord loves mercy. <laughs> in other words, our Lord is a merciful Lord. But I think there was a sort of a double, double reference there. The Lord loves mercy too. The lady named Mercy. Well, once again, the keeper of the gate took her by the hand and gently led her in. 
He said, I pray for all them that believe on me that whatever means they come to me. They then gave Mercy a bundle of myrrh to revive her from her fainting. Um, the Lord of the way, next point here, then, they, uh, then the Lord of the way spoke kindly to them when they again said that they were sorry for their sins. I grant pardon, said he, by word and deed. Now that's very significant. It's very significant. By word and deed. And then there's a little explanation what is meant by each of those bold terms here. Word and deed. What is meant by them. So looking at it more fully in your notes here. Um, he took them to the top of the gate and showed them, well, first of all, by word and deed, by word in the promise of forgiveness. That's God's promise of forgiveness. He grants them pardon by his word. But second of all, indeed, by the way I obtained it. Remember, this is the Lord of the head of the way who is speaking here. He took them to the top of the gate, showed them by what deed they were saved, and told them that they would see that sight again as they went along the way to their comfort. And what, of course, was that? It's Calvary. It's the crucifixion. It's Jesus' death for the sins of his people. Where next? Uh-oh, the dog's back again, the barking dog. After some conversation between Christiana and Mercy, the subject of the dog came up again, and they both wondered why the keeper of the gate kept such a cool dog in his yard. The children were much afraid that they would be bitten. It was Mercy who asked why he kept so cool a dog in his yard, and his answer was, that dog, that dog has another owner. He also is kept close in another man's ground. Only my pilgrims hear his barking. Hmm. Let me put the last thing on there, and I'll continue reading here. That dog has another owner. He also is kept close in another man's ground. Only my pilgrims here is barking. He belongs to the castle which you see there at a distance. His owner does not keep him of any goodwill to me or mine, but with intent to keep the pilgrims from coming to me. I also give my pilgrims timely help so they are not delivered up to his power. He went on, to further say that he turned the barking of that dog to the prophet of pilgrims. And I have a bracketed statement here that comes from John Bunyan himself. He said, thus the dog of hell may be of service, not only in keeping the sheep close together, but in making them keep close to their shepherd. The barking of the dog has a good twofold purpose. The, the, the dog is not going to be able to do physical harm to anybody. But hopefully, in, in, in the, you know, the master of the dog's mind, 
the dog will be able to keep people from coming, scare them away from coming to the gate and entering into the gate. Okay, what next? Next bullet. So, the Lord fed them, washed their feet, and set them in the way of his steps, just as he had done with, with Christian. So the journey continues, and the next focus that we have here, the next focus is on the focus of fruit, which turns out to be fruit from Beelzebub's garden. Here's what we read. As they continued on their journey, there was on the other side of the wall that fenced in their way a garden that belonged to the owner of the barking dog. Some of the branches of the fruit trees that grew there hung over the wall. And thus did Christiana's boys pluck some of the fruit and began to eat. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Christiana rebuked them but did not know where the fruit came from. She rebuked them for eating fruit that wasn't theirs, it didn't belong to them, but she didn't know where it came from. Uh, they were eating stolen fruit, in her estimation. Um, well, I, I don't want to get to that yet, so we'll leave this one here to continue. Um, Christiana rebuked the boys in the next bullet. When they had continued a little ways further, about two bowshot, they spied two <clears throat> ill-favored ones coming quickly to meet them. May I say to you, this particular instance here, and Christiana is not happy with the boys for eating this fruit, it kind of ends there, but we're going to read more about this. Not this lesson, but soon to come. There are not going to be good results from this at all. All right, the ill-favored ones now. The ill-favored ones. Two shady-looking characters here. When they had continued a little further, uh, it's about two bows shot. You know what that would be? Yeah, just as far as you could shoot an arrow, and probably different ones than us could shoot an arrow different distances, but about about that distance. Um, when they had gone that, that much further, they spied two very ill-favored ones coming quickly to meet them. Immediately, Christiana and Mercy covered themselves, covered themselves in what way? Well, they put veils on and kept walking with the boys in front of them. Okay? These two ill-favored ones are not just ugly and unpleasant, as ill-favored might indicate. It's worse than that. They're so, they're also well, or excuse me, ill-intentioned and intent on doing these ladies the worst, the worst physical harm that can be done to a lady. The ladies, now let's continue reading in our notes here. Um, the two ill-favored ones approached them, intending to sexually molest them. Christiana told them to stand back or go by peacefully and then continue on their way. 
when they laid their hands on, on them, Christiana became very angry and kicked them with her feet. The two ill-favored ones said they didn't want their money. They had just one request, which if granted would make them women, would make women of them forever. Christiana responded, we will neither hear nor regard nor yield to what you shall ask. We're in a hurry and cannot stay. Our business is a business of life and death. Still the ill-favored ones blocked their way and assured them that they would do them no harm. Christiana said, you would have us body and soul, for I know what you want but we will rather die upon the spot than suffer ourselves to be brought into such snares as shall hazard our well-being hereafter. Then she and Mercy shrieked out, murder, murder. I mean, wow. And their words came to the gate, but it didn't frighten the two ill-favored ones to flee. So you read the next point here. The two ill-favored ones undaunted, intending, intended to overcome them. But since they were still not far from the gate, their voice was heard and some made haste to their relief, to her relief. By that time, the women were in a great scuffle and the children were standing by crying. Well, <laughs> why? The reliever. One called the reliever called out the ruffians and attempted to take them, but they, that is these two ill-favored ones, escaped over the wall into the garden. The reliever asked them if they were okay and then asked them why they had not petitioned the Lord for one to conduct them on their journey. Hmm. To continue reading here, the fact is they had been so caught up in their present blessing that they had forgotten about any dangers ahead. Uh, do, do you remember one of the little phrases from, from week one? The bitter must come before this week. There'd be a number of bitter things that will be faced along the way. This, this is one of those bitter experiences, to be sure. The slough could have been one of those bitter experiences too, but it wasn't as bitter for them as it was for Christian. But this is a very bitter experience. Christiana confessed her sin in that before they left home, she had seen in a dream two men like this standing at the foot of her bed, plotting how they might prevent her salvation. Remember that in the previous lesson? She saw in a dream two little favored ones, and here it is, it came to pass. You know, it's at this point that this section of the story really comes to an end. Again, again, in most of our books, some of you may have editions where it breaks it into clear chapters, but if not, the text just sort of flows on and we're ready for them to proceed on. But at, at this particular point, why had they not asked the Lord for one to conduct them? Hmm. You know, that, that, did Christian have one to conduct him? No, he didn't. He didn't. Will Christiana have one to conduct her and the others? He sh she sure will, and we will meet that person next week. And for myself, anyhow, and probably for some of you, 
that will become one of my favorite characters in all of Pilgrim's Progress. It really will. But for now, this is where it ends. Christiana confessed her sin in that before they left home, she had seen in a dream two men like this, standing at the foot of her bed, plotting how they might prevent her salvation. And the end. I don't see the sin. You what now? I don't see the sin. See her sin? That she confessed. I, I, she yeah, saw something yeah, and that's she, sinful? She feels convicted that she didn't, she didn't think more seriously about what these two ill-favored ones that she saw in the dream, how that was these two ill-favored ones here, and she's going to need help. That she can't handle that herself. It's going to be greater than her, I think. Yeah. Well, I have some questions for us, and I do not have another slide, so I'll leave the why on the screen here. Practical lessons for pilgrims now. Number one, praise God for the great variety of ways that he brings people to himself. Never look down on someone who came to Christ in a different way than you did. And you notice, you, you guys know what I'm saying, don't you? I don't mean by believing a different message. I don't mean that. You know that. You know that. Now, I was talking a little bit before class started with Brent and Melanie about uh, some guests we had in our house on Friday night. Uh, some of you who have been coming to class for quite a while know that in some years past, at a certain time of the year, we would have some visitors, some of my relatives come to class, and I always refer to them as the right side of the family. Their last name is W-R-I-G-H-T, the Wrights. The Carvers grew up in Collingswood, New Jersey. The Wright family, and I have just one brother, my brother Don, three years younger than I am, but the Wrights had five siblings. Five siblings, they grew up in Haddonfield. And if you are familiar with the geography of South Jersey, Collingswood, it's located here, then the little town of Westmont here, and then Haddonfield here. So we weren't far from each other. But the rights, uh, you know, all of us have moved from, from where we were brought up. Uh, the rights ended up down here in Florida, and uh, they have a kind of a family reunion everywhere, every year. And I think Helen and I will probably be invited to go down and, and be with them down in in St. Pete uh, one of these nights. But as I was talking uh, to Brent and Melanie and kind of interrupted myself and said, I'll tell more about this in a minute. Um, my dad was named Bob Robert Logan Carver. I'm Robert William Carver, so I wasn't a junior. But my dad's name was Bob. The Wright kids, their, name, their mother's name was Helen. <laughs> my mother's name was Helen too. My wife's name is Helen. Talk about confusion. <laughs> but thinking of the Wright's mother named Helen, my dad's sister, one of his siblings. It was, and I can't explain to you, I'd have to go back and reread all of this to get the details. But my dad's sister, Helen, had a tremendous spiritual influence on my mom and dad. A great spiritual influence so that I, I, I can actually say sitting here today that I am so thankful for my Aunt Helen and her spiritual contribution to our family and I thank the Lord that I was reared in a Christian home and all that but why because of Aunt Helen's influence on my mom 
and dad. Uh, again, how is it that we came to faith in Christ? Uh, some people are led to Christ by a faithful Sunday school teacher. You know, we pray that for the ministry that's going on here. Uh, some may have come to know Christ through hearing the gospel message at a camp or something similar to that. Uh, some may have come to know Christ through a radio broadcast or a piece of literature. You know what a gospel tract is, and gospel tracts aren't quite as popular now, I think, as they were many years ago. But I remember reading a gospel tract about gospel tracts, likening a gospel tract to thistledown. You know, the little dandelions when they, you're ready to blow them away, and they kind of likened the gospel tracts to thistledown. We may give a gospel tract to somebody, but you never know where that will end up. Yes, one may end up in a trash can and be found by somebody else emptying the trash. It is just absolutely mind-boggling how God chooses to bring people to himself. It's always through a message of grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. But how he does that? Anybody, I mean, we have a couple minutes here. Anybody want to share your testimony about how you know how you came to know Christ. Nobody's under any obligation but to do that. If, if Colleen and Clap and Casper were here today, I would have called specifically on Casper because uh, he has a very interesting testimony of how he came to know Christ. Rachel? I'm just going to give a real quick version. I... Uh, my parents went to this church before I was even born, so I've been here my whole life. <clears throat> Very blessed by the teaching, but I know you've all probably heard of Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, the wah, wah, wah. <laughs> before, before I was a believer as a child and growing up, that's probably what, it could have, probably what was getting in from the pulpit. Um, and I grew up in a Christian family, had a lot of head knowledge, um, you know, said I was saved when I was younger, but I really think the Lord changed my heart at the end of high school and really started working on my, in, in my life and changing me and continues to, but um, I don't have a specific day or time either, but I, it's interesting just to look back and see all the things, and I think, and this is a good reminder for us to instill in our girls, is I a lot of times compared myself to other people instead of comparing myself to the Lord and, and what his holy standard was. And so I had a lot of um, internal pride and a lot of um, head knowledge until the Lord showed me my own depravity. And then um, it was a hard lesson, but a good lesson. And, you know, continued to humble me. Um, but I've just, it was really, it's really just one thing to, that when kids grow up in a Christian home and a, a wonderful church. It's a huge, huge blessing, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, but I, I think just to remind um, our kids that they need Christ just like anybody else. So the, that was me. Very good. Very, very good. Daniel? Brother Bob, I'm going to try not to take too much time. <laughs> I was... In, in the worst time in my life, going through a tumor in my lower back, 
And I was in despair. And I went to the Greek priest. I was not Bible believer then. And I asked him, I said, you know, I'm going through this. I have three kids in college and everything is going so bad in my life. What is God? He says, oh, when we die, we will know where is God. That's what he told me. And, and, and I invited to my house because I couldn't even move. And the tumor was just pulling everything, all the muscles from my body. A woman, day before what happens to me knowing, knowing the Lord, a, a woman came to my house, friend of my wife, and she says, oh, here is a little Bible, Greek Bible, that your husband can read. I never opened a Bible. I never knew a Bible at all. Only looking the priest, holding the Bible closed and having us worship the, the Bible, kissing it to be saved. And in that day, uh, clearly and clearly, what happened is the little Bible, I put it on a little shelf in the living room. And it was, I put it there closed. But on one particular day that I was so in despair and thinking of wanting to take my life, to end my life, before I walk out of my house, I saw when I get the little Bible, and God is my witnesses. This is why he woke me up and brought me to his saving knowledge. The little Bible was open, and all of a sudden, and, and God is my witnesses, I saw the letters getting bigger. I, I don't know if it was a dream. To me, I was awake, I was not sleeping. And I saw clearly, I saw, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, in huge letters, and something came inside me that is, I, I knew I was empty all my life. <clears throat> something was not in place in me. That day, what happens, I went down to my knees when I felt something came, something came on the inside of me that would make me feel like I, I own the whole world. <laughs> and then and, and, and fulfilled my emptiness inside, and I went down to my knees, not even knowing Christ, and I said, Lord, forgive me, because I forgive my sins, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And I was crying and crying and praising the Lord. And I wanted to tell the whole world from that time on that uh, Jesus came to, to my life. From that day on, I went and tell my wife, when she came home, well, this is what happened to me. From that day till today, my wife is like a pharaoh, rejecting the Lord, not clearly. She hearing the gospel for thousands of times in my house, but she rejected. But I keep praying for her. And, but to me, from that day on, Everything was the Lord just making things better with my sickness, with me being not being despair and wanting to die. And I knew from that day on the Lord belonged, started to work it 
and my heart and, and with the rejection of my wife, I used to come stronger and stronger, want to tell my family and, and God is my witnesses. He brought all my children and my grandchildren to this, his saving knowledge. They don't go to the Greek Orthodox Church. They go in the Bible churches and they follow the Lord because I was asking the Lord that if this is what happened to me, Lord, is, is you telling me to, to keep witnessing to everyone what you did to me? And, and, and every, as he's convicted me, Lord, by bringing my children to faith. For me, this is how I work. And I became servant of the Lord in the Roman style. Daniel, do you still have that Bible? Yes. Do you still have that Bible? Yes. Yes, the Bible wondering. is in my car. Yeah. Packet Bible. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I was in, in that. Uh, that's why I fall in love with I am the way. And this is what I've been telling the Greek people. I says, only Christ is the way. Don't look to the saints, don't look to the icons, don't look to, to worshiping the uh, uh, you know the wrong things for salvation and praise the Lord now is one of your grandsons a student at Reformation Bible College yes yes, yes. It, we, he was in our Sunday school he, was in our, he came here yeah. yes he came to the church yeah. he's a Montana now okay. in the Bible school wow it's 12 o'clock <laughs> but if anybody else wants to speak, I don't want to cut them off. Okay. And forgive me, Brother Bob, but I don't, I don't mean that anyone needs to see anything. I didn't ask for to see anything. This is what the Lord did with me. I don't know why. Maybe I was sleeping too deep to too, too, too the wrong things. And not knowing the Lord in, uh, was a way of him waking me up. Well, you were thinking of taking your life at that point, right? Yes, yeah. I was very seriously yeah. thinking of that. Yeah. And I was taking steps to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can see at the bottom of the page, next time read from the interpreter's house to the coming of Greatheart. You guys are going to love Greatheart, I think. But the interpreter's house. You remember when Christian came to the interpreter's house and he was taken to different rooms and saw some really amazing things? Are they going to see all the same things? Are they going to see some different things? Read it and see. Read it and see. But there'll be some very fascinating things to see. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Lord, thank you for drawing us to yourself, Lord, through the gospel, through the work of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, we pray for our lost family and our lost friends. Lord, please, I pray that you would open their hearts to the truth. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the promise that we have of eternal life, Lord. And that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for those who know you. In Jesus' name, amen.